good day to be here. Good day to open the Word of God and have it read and taught. Why don't you open up to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 4, verse 13. I'm not an expert on this text or the Lord's return. I have my hopes and aspirations like everybody else. I don't know the day he's coming back. If you do, I'd like to know. But I hope this passage will be an encouragement to you as it was even to the Thessalonian believers at the time. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll look at the text. Father God, it's a privilege to come to this part of scripture and be taught that you are going to come back for us. There's so much to be said about that, so much we don't know. Lord God, so much we see in Scripture, and we still can't quite put it all together for some or others, Father. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us through just the text of your word today, Father. As we look at Scripture, Father, as we uh, look at points that, through, Lord, that the text might bring out, I ask you to bless our time this morning, Lord Jesus, as we look for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, go to the text. Uh, we're at verse 13. After Paul has told them to love and even increase in their love for the brethren and to walk worthy of the God who has saved them and even to continue to grow. They were, this is a church that was heavily persecuted. Nero would have been the Caesar of the time, and a lot of brutality under him. Uh, wicked, wicked Caesar. He would do things like impaling Christians upside down and dipping them in wax to burn them as candles in his garden. Uh, he hated Christians. So imagine what it was like living under that persecution then we get to this text. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and does everybody believe that? Good. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So here's the church in Thessalonica, or these Thessalonian believers, and they had thought that they had missed the coming of the Lord. They thought they missed it because of all that they were going through. They thought that Nero was the Antichrist. And so this epistle was written to believers who were suffering intense persecution for their faith. And because they were so young in the Lord, Paul writes to them to confront their doubts and to challenge them to have a closer and cleaner walk with the Lord. So he is writing them to answer questions that they might have. 
I imagine you folks have questions, right? You look at the Bible, you still have questions. You study it every day, you still have questions. That's okay. They had questions regarding the Lord's return for his church. Since they were suffering, they, of course, thought they missed it. But the coming of Jesus is not an event that should find us ignorant. This isn't an event that should cause us to be sorrowful or without hope. The return of Jesus Christ for his church is an event that's going to happen. And it is an event that should comfort the heart of those who know Jesus and are known by him. So we should, be, we should look at this text and go, okay, I'm not, I'm not one without hope. I have hope in Christ. And he is coming back for me. Amen? I mean, in the time we live in, that's important. Now look down here at 416. I'm going to bounce around in this text a little bit. It says, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. See, the Lord himself, notice that, he will come to take his bride home. He's coming to get his bride. And to take her, take her home, the one who died to redeem his bride at the cross is the very one who's returning to catch up. You'll notice verse 17 there. The word's caught up. I'll get to that in a little bit. To catch up, not catch up, but to catch up. Okay? His bride from the earth. This fits with Jewish tradition. It fits with Jewish tradition in that where the bridegroom, after completing a place for himself and for his bride in his father's house, would go with his friends to get his bride and bring her home for the wedding. So it fits right in with the customs of a Jewish wedding. Here comes the father says, the place, you know, I go and prepare for a place for you. Remember what he said that in scripture? The father says, all right, it's ready. Now you go get the bride. The son doesn't just go get the bride. He goes when the father tells him to go get the bride. So he comes to get the bride. He brings with him his friends. Now, who are Christ's friends when you think about all those who have fallen asleep in Jesus? We'll get to that in a sec. So his coming will be accompanied by a shout. So this isn't a quiet event. It's a shout with the voice of an archangel. Now, I don't know what that means except for it has authority to it. It's not a quiet event. When he comes to get his church, it's going to be known. It's going to be heard. It's going to be seen with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The trumpet, who's ever heard the blast of a trumpet? Now, the trumpet was used for a lot of things in Jewish culture. Let, let me show you a couple of things here. Go to Numbers chapter 10. Back here to Numbers 10. It was used for announcing feasts. That's interesting. Okay, so Numbers 10, verse 10. Also, in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feast, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So the trumpet was used to announce feasts. It was also used to announce any kind of celebration that would be going on. Go with me to Second Samuel here. Chapter 6, verse 15. Let me read down into that. 
Verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces and he sacrificed oxen and fat, fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with what? Shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. So they would involve that trumpet even in, in times of, not just in times of, uh, announcing the feast, but any time they were going to celebrate, that trumpet would come out. I bet they blew that all the time. They blew it in times of warning, uh, in times of war, but they would even do it, if we go back here to Leviticus chapter 23, they did it to announce it's an assembly, or to, let's, we have to get together to bring the people together. Leviticus 23, 24. And what do we see there? It says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, and you shall do, do no customary work on it, and it goes on. So there seems to be a really a twofold, when you look at this, a twofold purpose here with the trumpet when we read about this in Thessalonians. One is to assemble God's people together, to bring them all together. Not just some of them, but all of them. And to signal his delivering of them. So the trumpet blasts, and who's, notice, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Who's bringing the trumpet of God? The Lord himself. He's doing this. It's okay, so it's not a priest, or it is the high priest, but it's not somebody in war. It's the Lord himself who's going to do this. Okay, so let's go back to verses 13 and to 15 here. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have what? Fallen asleep, okay, or died. It uses fallen asleep here on purpose. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who, here it is again, sleep in Jesus. Now you'll notice that changes, even Satan 15 here. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So in all three verses it uses the word sleep. It's not until you get up down into... Verse 16, at the end of that, right? And, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The Thessalonian believers were ignorant. They were really ignorant of what happened to those who had died or fallen asleep before the return of Christ. They were worried about that. All these saints that went before, they're going to miss this. They're going to miss the great, this great event of the return of Christ to get his bride. They're going to miss it. Think of things that bother us. Would that bother you? But it bothered them. In the few weeks Paul was with the Thessalonians, he probably, in his teaching, emphasized the soon return of Christ. And the Thessalonians believed it earnestly. They, you can see that even in the text as, this, as you look at the book. They believed in the return of Christ, but they were troubled by the idea that these Christians are somehow going to miss out on the victory of Christ's coming. But as Christians... They were 
we, we may mourn the death of, a, of other Christians, but we're not as others who have no hope. There's a difference between a memorial or a funeral even of a believer and a non-believer. The loss of a loved one can be really devastating if you don't know Christ. Because there is no hope in their sorrow when, they, when you have no hope in Jesus. There's, there's nothing to look forward to. And so the believer's sorrow is different than the world's sorrow when, when, there's a, when there's a loss of life. The believer's sorrow is like the sadness of seeing someone going away on a long trip and they're going to come back someday, but you're going to see them again. Okay, that's, that's the way we look at believers who have went before us into glory. It's not over for us. You're going to see them again. Now, some of you have lost loved ones. We've all lost loved ones <coughs> that are believers. We're talking about those who are believers and went on to be with Christ. You're going to see them again someday. Now, these Thessalonian Christians, their, their troubled minds were answered by the statement, God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. That's how Paul answers this for them. So the word of God calls it sleep. The death of our physical body, this does not mean that the soul sleeps, okay? That, that's, a, that's a phony teaching. It doesn't mean that when I die, now I just stay in this place of limbo forever until Jesus comes back, okay? That's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches, all right? So it's not that kind of sleep. Look at 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... God will bring with him those who sleep in, in, in Jesus. Okay? Not asleep by him, asleep in him. So it's, it's, it's already told us something in that word. It's the righteous, it's the believer, it's not the world, it's specifically those who by faith believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, so that word sleep there is koimayo. That's the Greek word for it. It means to rest or it means to slumber. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now it uses the word dead there. That's the word nekros, and it means a corpse or a body. Now that's important because it specifically means a body. You'll just remember that, okay? And it's really the same as First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, reading down into this, verse 9, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's the word nekros there. Even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. So he, what does it say? He, he raised from the dead. He raised Christ up. His body actually left the grave. Okay, the words in verse 14, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now this verse makes it clear that people continue to exist with God in heaven because they're asleep. Okay, remember, what, what did Jesus say about Lazarus? Oh, he's just, uh, he's only asleep. He's not dead. That would be 
The, the word for dead would be more like the heathen would use. The believers just asleep, but still alive. There are, when we die, we're still living in heaven. Amen? Go to Luke 23, 43. Let's look at some passages here. Luke 23, 43. Let's see. Let's, let's back up a little bit here. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely as I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So look at it. He died at the cross, physically died, but yet he's asleep. He's with the Lord. Where's he at? Wherever paradise would be, right? He's with the Lord in paradise. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. For he made you, and you, he made, what's the word there? Alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's how I used to control you and I also. In which you once... Uh, excuse me, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." So what happens when this body gives up? Where am I at? What's my position with Jesus? Raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So just because I'm asleep, it, it specifically the Bible tells us where we're at. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 19 to 24. For I know that this will, Philippians 1, 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through our, your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me is to... For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with who? With Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. You'll see, starting in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, and all that verse will come up again here, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Okay, so we are together with him, whether I'm alive or whether the body quits. Okay, so in their ignorance... The Thessalonians had come to believe that those who had fallen asleep had missed the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on in our text. And this was causing them sorrow like those who have no hope in eternal things. 
Matter of fact, back to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you were, are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time when we were without hope. But in Christ, we have hope. So death doesn't change that. Death even makes my hope even stronger. And so but they were starting to act like the non-believer who didn't have any hope. And Paul's writing them saying, no, 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 no. It's way better for the believer. Now notice how those who had fallen asleep are identified in verse 16. Okay, how are they identified? They are the dead in Christ. Again, sleep was... A common way to express death in the ancient world, but among pagans, it was almost always seen as eternal sleep. Christians called death sleep, but they emphasized the idea of rest. Okay, that's how the Christian would look at it. Early Christians called their burial places cemeteries. I mean, it's right even in our language. What's a cemetery? What's another word for cemetery in the Greek? Dormitory. It's, a, it, it's also a, a sleeping place. So even what we call the cemetery means a place of sleep. That's what it is. So hey, my family's buried in a cemetery. They're just sleeping. They're waiting for something. And most cemeteries even lay out the, the grade of the, the, or the plot of the cemetery so the headstones face east. Why? Because they're coming from the east. So most cemeteries, and I don't know about today, but all your older ones are laid out there. So my eyes would be looking east. Even, even the pagans believe that Jesus is coming back. But the Bible never describes death, the death of the unbeliever as sleep. It never does that. Because there is no rest. There's no peace for them. There's no comfort for them in death. So it's just death. It's not defined as rest. For us, it's sleep. It's rest. Till Jesus comes back for us. Again, this doesn't in no way promotes the doctrine of soul, soul sleep. Uh, Christians who had died are not in a state of suspended animation. They're not waiting for a, a resurrection to consciousness. Rather, what Paul says about it is the right way. Philippians 1.23, go back there. We just were there a minute ago. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because that's the I like that verse even better. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's the first six verses. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that's talking about our body, right, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, eagerly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Who's, are you eagerly waiting to be clothed with your new body? Why? Why? Because I, I'm a pastor, I'm in pain all the time. No, it can't be that. Okay, It's eternal. It has to be because I get to be with him. It should not be because I don't want to ache anymore. Or, you know, I don't, my blood pressure will be good. All those kind of things. It has to be because you would be present with him. 
Let's read on in this. It says, For in this we groan, desiring to be clothed the habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that an awesome verse? Mortality is swallowed up by life. Life eternal with Jesus Christ will swallow up our mortality. That, that, that's an amazing. Now he who is, has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. How do I know it's going to happen? Because I have the Spirit as a guarantee. So we walk by faith, not by sight, and it goes on. Okay, for Christians, death is leaving this body like laying down for a nap and walking into glory. That's what it's like. So for the, the Christian, he or she should not sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, where does our hope in, in the face of death come from? How do I get, where does this come from? Where does this hope come from? Well, it comes from the death of Jesus Christ. Okay? He endured the full wrath of God for our sins, taking away forever the sting of death for the saint. Death should not even bother us because either I'm going to be home with the Lord in glory before he comes or I'll be in the air when he comes to get me. But I am going home. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. Uh, let's back up here to 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You know that passage. Uh, that's the great passage of the exchange that took place. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A great exchange happened when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He took all your sin as far as east is from the west, but he didn't just leave you by taking all your sin. He gave you his righteousness. And so now when you stand before the Father, he sees the righteousness of his Son. He doesn't see your righteousness, he sees his Son's righteousness, which is absolutely perfect. Okay? Why are you even allowed into heaven? Because you have the righteousness of the Son. Not because you performed well this week. Okay? We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have a better standing in the righteousness of Christ than Adam had in his own righteousness when he was made. We have the righteousness of the Lord himself. You can't get any better than that. So the resurrection, you know, so where does that hope in the face of death come? Because of the, the death of Jesus Christ and also because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead. All those who have their faith in Christ will rise again. That's why he came out of the ground. He came out of the ground to justify us before the Father it was the acceptable sacrifice. That's why he could come out. But he came out of the ground to show me that there's life after this. 
And that if I have faith in him, I too will rise again. 2 Corinthians chapter 15, or 1 Corinthians 15. And he read from that this morning. But verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. In fact, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have, here it is again, fallen asleep. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits of afterward, those who are Christ at his what? At his coming. Because Jesus died and rose again, the believer need not fear death or judgment from God. God the Father has accepted Jesus as a ransom. Praise the Lord for that. And in him we, have, we are delivered from sin. We're delivered from the wrath of God. We're de- delivered from death. We, there is no judgment for the righteous, for the believer. Romans chapter 3 would tell us that if we go to Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in who? In Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation or Another word for that would be as the mercy seat. Propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what gives me that hope? The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And so the dead in Christ, so let's go back to our text. The dead in Christ will rise first. It tells us uh, in verse 14 to 16 there. The dead in Christ, let's see, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise, as it says, first. Now Paul's point to the Thessalonians is really clear here. The prior dead in Christ will not be left out of the return of Christ. Follow this. In fact, those who are asleep will be first. Everybody who has died in Christ will be there at this gathering together in the air. He's bringing them with him. 
They're still a part of it. They're just on the other side of it. They're coming with him to meet those who are on the earth who are going to be changed. I'll get to that in just a second. It is an exciting thing that God's got planned. And those who asleep will be first. The order of the resurrection will begin with them. And we shall not rise without them. So many wonder how the dead in Christ are raised. There, there's really several different views that, that are out there. Some believe that they have a, a temporary body and are awaiting resurrection. Okay? Some believe uh, those asleep are disembodied spirits who are waiting for resurrection. Some believe that the dead in Christ experience their resurrection immediately and immediately get that new body. There's people that, uh, some believe that. And um, that there will come a day when God's eternal plan, the dead in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies. That's what we know. Until that day, um, we are confident that those who are asleep are with Christ. That's the point. How he does that, when do I get my new body, all those things we wonder about, they're still kind of foggy in some ways. doesn't really matter. What the point, that's not the point Paul's making. The point he's making is, we'll all be together. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Um, Paul would say this. Let me back up. If we walk, for if we walk by faith or not... Not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, either the present dead in Christ are with the Lord in a spiritual body, awaiting their final resurrection body, or because of timeless eternity, they have received their resurrected body already because they live in the eternal now. However, this is what I come to in this conclusion. God will do it the way he wants it done. I'm just confident that his promise is true. So it, does, it doesn't matter when I get a new body. It's already been, I'm not going to s- sweat over that. Or whether they have a new body now or they're awaiting a new body with us at the twinkling of an eye when that all happens. I don't need to worry about it. So Jesus comes here in verses 17 to 18 in our text to meet the church. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in where? In the air. Now, this is where there's a lot of people who don't believe in the the rapture of the church because the word rapture is not necessarily laid out in Scripture. But we're going to use the word caught up here. Okay, because that's what's given in our text, right? All right, so let's just go with those words. And where is that? Yeah, verse 17. Then he, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The word rapture is the Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo. So rapture is Latin. Harpazo is the Greek word which is translated in 4.17 as being caught up. Or, now this is where, or to be seized by force. Or to be carried off by force. Or to eagerly claim for oneself. So imagine that. This caught up involves Jesus himself coming and, and 
catching us up by force. You're going with me. Hey, you better empty your schedule. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's caught up by force. It's, it's eagerly claimed for oneself. You're mine. So, and it's going to happen so fast that we are changed by a twinkling of an eye. I'll get to that in just a second here. But when Jesus comes for his church, he will catch away by force those who he has redeemed by his blood, taking them home to glory <coughs> with all the saints who have went before them. What a beautiful thing this is. What an amazing thing this is. I, I you know, think about it. When the, the being caught up or... Uh, the rapture takes place, it will involve all those who are saved by the grace of God. You know, all of them, both past and present. It will not be an event of select few super saints. It, it will be a time when everyone who has, who has believed on Jesus Christ will leave this world together. All together. Past who have went, us who are here, all together. Okay? Now, I... So there's two truths here in, in, in we can point out, pull out of this. The rapture will include all the saints. Those alive and those who have went. All the saints, all right? So there is no such thing as a partial departure or a partial rapture. When he comes to get the church, all the church goes. It wouldn't make sense if it didn't happen that way because some wouldn't get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's coming back for his bride for the marriage feast. So all the church will go. All those who are living at the time and all those who have went already before. They'll be brought together in where? In the air is what it says. So the only way one makes this trip is through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, I must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, which you know very well. We're saved by what? By grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We, we read it often. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's another place, Romans chapter 10, and verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now notice part of the belief there for us to have eternal life is you must believe in the resurrection. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with one, uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, by the way, the rapture, or the, the, the carrying away, the departure, the being caught up, uh, will include only the saints that, only those who are set apart by him, only the believer. No unbeliever will be in this group. It's only for the believer. Now, what must happen before the saints can leave? Well, there must be, be a, a, a change. They go to 1 Corinthians 15. Something has to happen for us to meet them in the air if we're here on this earth. It's like if it happened right now and we're here, something's got to happen to us to be able to make that journey, right? What is it? 
Let's go to verses 50 to 58. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You can't blink that fast. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last... Uh Uh-oh, there it is. What's that? At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and who's blowing that trumpet? The Lord himself, right? We saw that in this. Okay, so... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this, and why? Because flesh and blood can't go there. So I have to have a different body, and whether they get their same body, those saints who have went already in their sleep, they get the new body the same time we would if we were here, doesn't really matter. They could have their new body now and we get it then. They could, we could all do it together. It doesn't matter. The point is, we'll all be with him in glory. That's where our hope is at. But notice, even here, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us, uh, let me back up here. Uh, so then, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So stay busy. Look for his coming. Stay busy. Okay, what's... Why why is he coming back? Well, he's coming back to redeem his church. He's coming back to fulfill his word. If you go back here to John 14, he's going to do what he promised. Verses 1 through 3, Let not one your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. Can you imagine what he's prepared for you? Look at his creation that he did in six days. And it's tainted by sin. Imagine what it looked like when he originally made it. Imagine the vegetables in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine what it was like when no weeds? Can you imagine when he did all the labor? Adam didn't do any labor. It wasn't until after, after the fall that he had to till the ground. Can you imagine what it looked like, the colors of what his creation would have been? Man, oh man, sin has done a a wicked thing. Even now, his creation groans for his return. But me to myself, look at this. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and and the way you know. You know how to get there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So he's also coming to transform This lowly body. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. This lowly body. You got a lowly body? Huh? Some lower than others. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Are you eagerly waiting for him? Those can't just be words. 
Are you eagerly waiting for him? Did you get up this morning expecting maybe today is the day? Eagerly waiting for his return. Look at this. Uh, From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's that faster than the blinking of an eye. He's going to change us according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He has the power to do that. And he's going to do that. Now there's there's a lot of different uh, views on when Christ will come. There's the pre-trib view. There's the mid-trib view. There's the post-trib view. There's... Um, there's even a pederast view that says he already came. There's a lot of different views on when he's coming back. I try to not consume myself with those things because I don't know when he's coming back. <laughs> you know, even, even the son didn't know when he's coming back. So I'm not going to split churches over those that nonsense because it's not important to me. The only thing that's important to me is I'm in the group that's going. And when he comes back, it'll be the right time that he came back. What we need to do as a body of believers is occupy and walk like Christians, be ready for hard times even if he didn't come back soon. To be able to, to, but but also say, well, this could happen at any moment. How will he come? You know, what's the time of his coming? That's, That's unknown to us. If you go back here to Matthew chapter 24, let me go to Matthew 24 here. And go to 36, 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, now he gives us what it'll look like when he comes back. But as of the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, then the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. And so after the revealing... There's another part to this too. If we go to 2 Thessalonians, and I rarely hear this verse used by anybody that writes a book about end times. And I don't know why. I don't know why they don't want to address it, but it is in Scripture and we're going to have to address it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Some things have to happen. According to the Thessalonians, according to the second epistle to the Thessalonians. And again, he's still dealing with the time of departure and what it's going to look like in the gathering or the being caught up with him in heaven. So he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, he's not changing his thoughts from his first letter, which is talking about being caught up in the air. 
So it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ is always about what? His return. The day of the Lord is about his judgment. So we're talking about the return of Christ. Where? Or being gathered together with him. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of Christ, his return, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, Paul tells the Thessalonian believers two things have to happen before the catching away in the air. What are they? A falling away has to happen. So a great falling away of the faith. I've heard people say, well, that's talking about the rapture. Well, it wouldn't be redundant. He wouldn't do that. Say, well, the catching away in the air, and then so he's already talked about that. So it has to be a falling away from the faith. In the latter days, all right? So, and what's the other thing? The revealing of the Antichrist. So the church is not, out, if you look at that as for what it says, I'm just saying, the church is not out of here until the falling away happens first and the Antichrist is revealed. You go, wait a minute, that doesn't fit my eschatology. Well, I, I, this is why I don't, I don't know why uh, Bible scholars, pastors, Never, they never touch this verse. I never hear anything taught on that verse because it doesn't fit for some people's end time eschatology. But nevertheless, it's here. What do I do with it? It's, uh, it's in the text. I have, to, I have to address it. I have to look at it. So to, to sit here from the pulpit and say, I'm going to tell you the exact time when Jesus is coming back. Is he, is he coming pre? Is he coming mid? Is he coming post? Is he coming before there? All that, does all that matter? Not really. This is what matters, is what we would read out of out of First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine, which we read, and that is, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Here's the important thing. It doesn't matter when we're pulled out of here. It doesn't matter if he kept us here. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is I'm not a child appointed to his wrath. Therefore, when the wrath starts, if that's before the seven years, any time, whenever the wrath of God starts, I'm pulled out of here, just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Lot. Okay, Nothing happened. The judgment couldn't come until they were out of the picture. So the church has to be pulled away before the wrath starts. So that, that's, that's the debate in, in Christendom is when does God start his wrath? Is it pre? Is it mid? Or is it before? Is it mid? Is it after? When is it? Well, it's not that clear, folks. The point is we're not children appointed to wrath. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Okay? And... He's going to come back, by the way, just as he left. We, we saw in Acts 1, verses 9 and 11, the angel said, Hey, why are you looking up into heaven? Don't you know he's going to come back the same way he left? Now, I'm paraphrasing that. 
But he's coming back in the clouds. He's coming back in the air. Now, what should we do as believers concerning his soon coming? I know he's coming. Well, we're to wait e eagerly for it. 1 Corinthians 1.7. I wait eagerly for his return. Are you doing that? The second thing is we're to look for it. Titus 2.13 says we look for his return. I mean, it's like going out on the porch and saying, ah, oh, man. I even one day I go out and I said, oh, there's no clouds in the air. <sighs> no, I'm just being funny. We're to love it. Look at 2 Timothy 4.8. 2 Timothy 4.8. Now think about that. Do you love his return? Now if you're right with Jesus Christ, you'll love his return. If you're not right with Jesus Christ, you don't want him to come back. For eight, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, that's, that's chapter 4, verse 8, the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a special reward just for those who can't wait for Jesus to come back, who loved his appearing. I want you to come back. Okay, so we're supposed to look for it. We're supposed to eagerly wait for it. We're supposed to love it. We're supposed to stay busy until his return, Luke 19 tells us. And we're supposed to comfort one another in this. That's our text. Go there, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> How do you get comfort out of that? How do you get comfort out of verses 13 to verse 17? Where's our comfort as believers? He's not going to leave us here. He's not going to leave us alone. He's coming back for us. People, that's, that's wonderful. You have hope. You have hope that if you died, you'll be with him in heaven. You have hope that if you're alive, when he comes back, he will change you and he'll take you with, take you with him. The unbelievers don't have any hope to fall back to. What a terrible thing to not have hope. And yet, that's where you were one day when you didn't have Christ. You were without hope in this world. If you could thank God for anything today, one of those things you should thank Him for is hope. I have hope. I have hope. This life is not all there is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. So much could be said about this passage, this text, Father. But may it come across, Father, that we have hope in you. Lord, and I'm excited for the day that you will come after your bride blowing that trumpet with the authority of the voice behind your return. Father, what a great day that will be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.